And at the end of the day, I don't actually believe that most people disagree as much as it's portrayed in the media or in even common conversation. I think there's a lot more that we can agree on than what we can disagree on. I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is a December 2nd update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There you will also find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. Today's learning objectives are discuss how the state of the public health infrastructure at the beginning of the pandemic affected the initial response to the pandemic, and describe the public health perspective on the intersection of freedom of religious expression and collective public health goals. This activity is sustained by in-kind support by DKB Med. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Allwater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Today, he will be interviewing Dr. Michael Mendoza, the Commissioner of Public Health in Monroe County, New York. Dr. Allwater, Dr. Mendoza, thank you for your time today. Uh, thank you, Faith, for the introductions, and uh, it, I'm just delighted that Dr. Mendoza has been able to join us, especially as the uh, pandemic coronavirus remains so prominently in the news as we enter into the month of uh, December. Dr. Mendoza has uh, been wearing a very important hat as a commissioner for public health for a county. And one of the, I think, challenges has been the rather fragmented public health approach across our entire country. I mean, we don't really have a unified national health. Then we have states that sort of uh, organize their own, and then we have at a county level. Uh, Dr. Mendoza, how can you relate to, to people? You're, you're a commissioner in uh, Monroe County, uh, that's in the Finger Lake region of upstate New York. Uh, right on Lake Ontario. But, you know, there's always been, as a native New Yorker, an upstate-downstate tension as well. H how does this work at your level as a county commissioner? Give, give some people of how that piece of the public health system works in the current pandemic. Well, I, I think it goes without saying that this has been a tumultuous year uh, from the pandemic standpoint, from a political standpoint, from a social and racial standpoint. But I will say that you know, I have the luxury at some level of being at a local level, which doesn't absolve me of all of that tension, but it does afford me some latitude with regard to uh, being approachable to the people who I serve. And so I try to approach my role from a very scientific, evidence-based, data-driven role. The minute I start walking into politics is the first minute I start regretting that I walked into politics. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't actually believe that most people disagree as much as it's portrayed in the media or in even common conversation. I think there's a lot more that we can agree on 
than what we can disagree on. And I find that helpful because when I approach people about where their views are with regard to whatever you know, piece of the pandemic we're talking about, I find that people are very amenable to, um, to changing their viewpoints when given you know, plausible scientific evidence. Um, because at the end of the day, I think people are, are fed up with this. We want to be done with this. We want to move on to 2021 and all the good things that that can bring. But unfortunately, we're uh, looking ahead to what looks like it will be a very sobering December. So that's the tension that we're in right now. Yeah, I, I'm always reminded of the quote by John Kenneth Galbraith, the economist, uh, who uh, I'm paraphrasing, said, uh, when the facts change, I, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? You know, for example. And, yeah. um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said. And, of course, we could parse through the facts. But as you've dealt with this from March onward, what are some of the things that you think have gone very well? And, and then perhaps on the flip side, this probably won't be the last pandemic, maybe for 100 years, we, we truly hope. Preparedness is always an important thing, but what, what would you wish for uh, from learning from what you've encountered over the last nine months? Well, it's, it's hard to say when we're in the middle of it, but you know, looking back with you know, whatever perspective I can pull together, even in the middle of all of it, is I think we were prepared. I think preparedness in public health means acknowledging that any, at any given moment, things can change. And um, you know, that humility that we bring to our job, I think has paid off in that we approach this from a very you know, exploratory perspective at first. We didn't know very much about this at first. We had some you know, preconceptions, but, but most importantly, our plan, which was built around the pandemic influenza plan, which has rubrics that were very useful for pan pandemic COVID, but um, our plan was built around a lot of uncertainties. It was built around the fact that things can change at any given moment. And I think that's what allowed us, at least at the beginning, to close down things quickly, um, uh, to be aggressive uh, relatively early in this pandemic. There was a fair bit of luck that uh, we enjoyed in the beginning. But I, I do think that humility has really proven to be very useful throughout um, this pandemic. Now, looking ahead, you raise a really good point. It's uh, a certainty that we will have another pandemic likely in our generation, hopefully not as large as the COVID pandemic has been. But I, I believe that this will be a, a wake-up call to our entire system, be it the healthcare system, the political system, the social services system, that underfunding and understaffing public health and um, diminishing the infrastructure for public health was an unwise choice. And I think insofar as 9-11 was a wake-up call to all of us around Homeland Security, I think uh, COVID will be a wake-up call for all of us around public health infrastructure. Yeah, I, I truly hope so. I, you know, I spent uh, a year as president for our Infectious Diseases Society a couple of years ago and spent a fair amount of time on the Hill trying to help uh, advocate for infectious disease-oriented funding. And, uh, you know, the NIH has always gotten a lot of dollars. I mean, they're glamorous, they're basic science, they're going to cure cancer. But I've always felt that the Centers for Disease Control was the Cinderella. It was a stepchild. It was always scrapping, always had funds cut. And I, I think it's showing, along with the idea that unlike other countries, we don't really have a unified national approach, which is, has led to a lot of how should I say, difficulties. You know, the, the tension as I've seen it over the months has always been public health, you know, uh, physicians where you want to save lives. I mean, that's very admirable. But then there's the economic tension where people say, look, you may not see the lives lost because of the economy and so on. 
but this is as important as public health and that tension and trying to do best is what the politicians and public health officials have been trying to intersect. One more hot button topic at the moment, though, is just been the recent Supreme Court decision. I believe the way I read that said that the First Amendment rights, at least in their narrow opinion, might trump public health decisions made by the state in terms of uh, limiting uh, congregations to certain sizes and hot zones and so on. I think many of us in the United States, you know, have an individualist streak. We're sort of like, look, we're in this on our own. We take care of ourselves. What's your sort of view of that decision and, and how might that interdigitate with your own thoughts on public health? Well, you know, I think uh, the first thing I learned is that you never want to take legal advice from a physician. So I take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I, I will say that, um, you know, we have to respect the Supreme Court at some level. They are the preeminent scholars as far as the interpretation of the law. I do think that we can find our way through this, uh, even with that interpretation. I don't find that interpretation to be uh, incongruent with our, our approach and our desires in public health. And, and they raise good points. I mean, I, I think everybody has to have good checks and balances. I mean, public health should not be given free reign just because it's a pandemic. Um, we do have to be mindful and respectful of people's individuality and, and, and personal freedoms. That being said, um, you know, I learned it very early that you don't have the right to yell fire in a crowded theater. And, and the reality is that there have to be checks on individuality as well. And where that line falls is ultimately the question for this generation. We have lived through questions in this last nine months that we've never needed to confront uh, in recent memory. And so I, I do think that this reawakening of these personal freedoms versus collective goals uh, conversation uh, is a good one for us to, uh, to entertain uh, as a society. But um, I don't actually think that um, at the end of the day, the Supreme Court's ruling is either going to make or break our success uh, through this pandemic. Because I do think the personal choices and the privacy of our own homes are ultimately what's going to get us through this. And it's not the freedom to have a gathering. You know, I think we can have gatherings if done, you know, safely. We've had gatherings all across the country, outside, for many reasons, across the country over the summertime that were very, very safe. So there are ways to do so safely, um, but, I, but I don't think the Supreme Court ruling necessarily will be a limitation on our, uh, our progress as public health. Yeah, I, I was wondering, as a public health official, how you might take your wise words and... Um, because I agree, we, there's no really animosity. I mean, public health is generally for everybody as much as possible, the common good. You know, the, the, the sense of why should liquor stores and grocery stores remain open uh, versus, you know, congregations, uh, religious activities and so on, weddings, which might fall under this and so on. We know those events have led to significant super spreader events that get a lot of media attention, but I think your point is excellent. There's a sense that most disease is actually acquired in the home, right? Someone introduces it into the home, unfortunately, and, and you know, the average rate of acquisition might be 18 to 20%, a little higher than the flu, but there's a big range depending on household activities. But religious services, people are in one area, they tend not to move and so on. Uh, what would be your advice then to people that are you know, making the decisions to go to churches that, you know, perhaps going to gatherings that may or may not be 
certainly in keeping with New York state law at the moment, because obviously there's not 100% regard to accepting the policy and so on. Well, you know, it's hard with religious freedom because it's so important. And, you know, through difficult times like this, um, you know, you could argue that faith is now more important than ever. And one's ability to exercise and express that faith is now more important than ever. And so the, the question really is, how can we do so in a way that is safe for the public? Um, how an individual may or may not want to entertain risk is his or her own choice, provided that the person is understanding of the risks that they're taking. Um, and my goal is not to tell people what to do, but to provide people with the information that they need to make a sound choice. And of course, my hope is that they will make a choice that's in the best interest of public health. But the reality is that some people choose to make unhealthy decisions. As physicians, we see this every day in the office. We've got patients who make decisions that we probably wouldn't make for ourselves, but that doesn't mean we shun them and say, you know, please leave. We work with them, we support them, we coach them, and we hope that they'll come around to the right decision ultimately. But with public health, the challenge is that one person's uh, unwise choices may have an impact on somebody else who's unwittingly or intentionally trying to do the right thing. Um, and so I do find, you know, that the creative ways to exercise faith that I've seen demonstrated across, you know, the state and the community uh, are worth looking into. And, and I have to ask, you know, are there ways to exercise and express your faith utilizing technology or, you know, some modicum of, of limitations that strikes that balance? Because it's certainly not, a, it's a false choice to say it's, it's religion versus public health. That's not a true choice. But um, I do think we have to entertain some of these creative, different, you know, call them unorthodox solutions, because I, I think the times warrant that. Well, yeah, thank you for your thoughts on that. And, and maybe in closing this segment, uh, you're, you're sort of what I sort of think of as like the congressman. You're, you're in a local district. As you said, you, you probably have more personal contact and, and, and are at least um, relationships with people in your county and so on help uh, other physicians that may not be and clinicians who are as familiar with public health, how, what's the one or two things you look for for your state health department? You know, what's that sort of interplay there? And then what about with the Centers for Disease Control? Just help people understand a little bit how, how each might influence what you do. Well, you know, in, in, pra in the practice of medicine, you know, we have evidence and we have guidelines and sometimes they don't match. And, you know, that, that's what makes being a clinician so challenging uh, is because sometimes you might find evidence and guidelines that may not pertain to your patient or to the family that you're caring for. You know, when it came to the COVID pandemic, um, you know, a lot of the early evidence was unclear. A lot of the early guidance was unclear. Uh, the CDC was not recommending in favor of masks initially. And, you know, as, an, as a public health official, as a physician, you know, I would, I would never have thought to do differently than the CDC recommended. And now looking back, I wish I had. And I, I remember thinking, well, you know, N95 masks, you know, the shortage of supplies notwithstanding, that really does make sense. If everybody could wear an N95 mask or any kind of mask, wouldn't that make sense? But then, you know, the Surgeon General and the CDC came out and said, let's not recommend, you know, universal masking at first. And I will say that, you know, looking back on this, if I have the luxury or burden, if you will, of having to go through another pandemic, I will look at all of the guidance with, a, with probably a little bit more scrutiny. I will not accept the CDC guidance sight unseen, if you will. And so that, that was one thing I learned from this. But 
Um, at the state level, you know, we look to the state health department to help us with the implementation of guidelines, uh, of all the policies that have everything to do with how we do as a community locally. The challenge has been that every community is seeing this at some level from a different perspective. And where, where I feel our perspective is most important is that I can offer what we see at a local level from a data standpoint. I can tell you know, the governor and the health department at the state level, look, all of our transmissions have largely been in private gatherings in homes among people who are not distancing and, and not wearing their masks. You know, people who are saying, well, we've got to close down you know, the gyms and fitness centers and the bars and restaurants and the barbershops and hair salons. Well, that's not, that's not where the majority of the problem lies. And so that the challenge, of course, is, you know, what can we do? Because we can't close down public gatherings. That's, that is the challenge. And so, you know, we look at these various levels of government, um, but at the end of the day, we've got to find a way to, to interpret the data correctly and, and represent it accurately to people who are making the policy decisions. Yeah, I think you make such important points because there's this fear that you may catch it from someone you don't know, but it's really the people you know that's the problem. And we let down our guard in the home because we think it's safe, it's people we know. And this virus really does take advantage of that need for human interaction. And, and we let our guard down in our house, which <clears throat> I, I think it's so hard to keep on alert all the time. Yeah. And uh, I think you make a wonderful point. So Dr. Mendoza, thank you for everything um, that you've uh, related today. Also all your work, of course, I think you're one of the unheralded heroes that uh, are working across the entire country at levels here to help, uh, especially now in this uh, difficult winter time with this coronavirus. So thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Dr. Allwater, Dr. Mendoza, thank you again for your time today. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.